I did the whole freelancing thing wrong. And I came to point like where I was just depressed. I would, you know, wake up, I'd walk the 40 feet to my office and I'd sit down and I would just start working. And there was, there was nothing but work. It was all I ever did. And uh, so it just really took its toll on me emotionally and physically. And so there came a point where I was just like, I need to escape this. And I remember just sitting there, like I would just follow the Occupy Wall Street thing. It's like, that's where I need to be. I need to be there, which is crazy. You know, it's just, you know, such an irrational thing to think, you know, and I, I, that's what I kind of, the light bulb went off. and was like, maybe you need to change your circumstances. You are listening to Louder Than Words, the podcast inspiring creatives of all types by giving you a glimpse into the lives and creative process of the most remarkable people you know. I'm John Benini, and I'm your host. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Louder Than Words, where we're providing a glimpse into the lives of the most innovative entrepreneurs, writers, designers, creators. Uh, I don't care if you run a lemonade stand. If you're doing it in a very cool and unique way, we're focusing on you and your process in order to inspire other people. Uh, Today is no different. Uh, I have the pleasure of hanging out with one of the most prolifically talented writers that I know of, and Damian Farnworth, chief copywriter at Copyblogger Media. This is a guy who, in my opinion, truly respects and excels in the craft of writing. Uh, I mean, if there are 10 writers in marketing in which we couldn't live without, in my opinion, he'd be one of them. Um, he, he, he carries the torch well, so to speak. He also has his own podcast called Rough Draft um, on Rainmaker FM, where he drops helpful little nuggets on writing daily uh, in a way that only he can. Um, he also has perhaps the most luxurious head of hair in the content la- uh, landscape, so um, he's got that going for him as well. Damien, welcome, my friend, and and thanks for hanging out with us today. Hey, thanks, John. Appreciate the introduction. That's uh, humbling. So just to go off that last point, I have to ask you, is the secret the shampoo or the conditioner? That's funny. Uh yeah, I, you know, it's like I use a three in one, you know, it's like this, <laughs> this, you know, shampoo, conditioner, and body wash. So it's <laughs> certainly not that. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, the Farnworth package. So that, if any of you are looking to, to look like a, a punk rocker circa 19, you know, the 90s, he, he's got the look down really well. Uh, Damien, it's awesome to have you here. Uh, like I said, you're, you're one of the guys in the content landscape that I think truly gets it. So I really appreciate you coming on with us today. Hey, I appreciate being here. It's an honor. So let's start here. I I really love your podcast, Rough Draft, mm-hmm. um, and you have a tendency to get pretty philosophical at times and 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 personal. And in one of your more recent ones, you touch on your dark days, as you call them, as an obscure writer, and how in 2011, in the midst of Occupy Wall Street uh, and all of that unrest, you wanted to drop everything and join. Uh, because what you were doing at the time was, in your words, killing you. So naturally, I want to dig into that, right? Um, tell us about mm-hmm. that period of time. So that was, um, so I had I had quit quit where I was working. I was working a corporate job and just reached a point where I was done. And I quit without any backup plan, said I'm going to go work for myself. And so I started freelancing and I was freelancing and you know, I had some contacts, and so I was able to pick up about a third of my income, like right off the bat, with some, I'd say, you know, fairly decent work. But I was just doing a lot of ghostwriting. Like one of the things, like freelance writers will tell you, like ghostwriting is 
available. And it pays sort of well. It depends on if, if you can land the right people. So I was doing a lot of that. And I realized, like, I was working a lot. I was w- making probably more money than I had been. Um, of course, the government takes a third of that. And But, you know, it's like I, I came to this point where I was just like, I hated doing it because I wasn't getting any of the credit for it. I was sort of, I mean, really, I... I, I viewed myself as just prostituting my work. It's like I was trading I was trading my hard effort for somebody else's name, somebody else's get credit for that. And then I was watching like one of my clients and like, you know, the things that I wrote did exceptionally well. And I was watching them get all this credit and, and like even behave as if this was theirs by the, through their comments and the way they shared it and what they talked about it. I was just like, there's not something, there's something not right with this, you know? So, but I'd reached that, you know, another thing, I was just working a lot during that time too. So, um, cause I was just, just afraid of failing, afraid of like, you know, going broke and missing the mortgage and living on the street. So I, I did the whole freelancing thing wrong. And I came to a point like where I was just depressed. I would, you know, wake up, I'd walk the 40 feet to my office and I'd sit down and I would just start working. And there was, there was nothing but work. It was all I ever did. And, uh, so it just really took its toll on me emotionally and physically. And so there came a point where I was just like, I need to escape this. And I remember just sitting there, like I would just follow the Occupy Wall Street thing. It's like, that's where I need to be. I need to be there, which is crazy. You know, it's just you know, such an irrational thing to think, you know, and I, I, that's what I kind of, the light bulb went off and was like, maybe you need to change your circumstances. And so I did. I just, I, from there, I just was slowly able to get out of doing less uh, ghostwriting work. And eventually too, what happened was I kind of figured out that I didn't really like the freelance thing. I didn't like the, the billing, the sort of, you know, um, negotiating price all the time. Like, you know, once a relationship ended, I had to build up a new relationship. And I really kind of just missed the stability that came with having a regular job. And and I was like, okay, so this is, you know, I learned a lot about myself in that sense that, you know, it's okay. It's like, like I like, and it it was humbling too, because I was like, you have the perfect personality to be an entrepreneur, right? You have the drive, the ambition, but I really, I I didn't have the desire to do all the kind of important things that it takes to build a business. So it's like, I couldn't call myself an entrepreneur and barely could call myself a freelancer. So then I just spent like the next 10 months uh, looking for a job and eventually found it with Copy Blogger Media. Yeah. So you're, you're in love with the work, it sounds like, rather yeah. than, you know, so much the business, which I think a lot of people who are in positions who, that create can certainly empathize with. So, and, and, I, and you mentioned this, you, you know, you found this job at Copy Blogger. So, you know, describe that sort of path that like, how did you, how did you even get in front of those guys? So that's a good point. Yeah, I should say I didn't find that the job found me really because like what happened? So I was doing all this freelancing and I, and I I had an in with Brian Clark because I knew Brian Clark from way back when. I remember when he first started his blog and I was following them and I was even trading emails with him back in you know, 2007, 2008. And around 2009, I think it was, I, and this is while I was still working my corporate job, I um, Sent, I submitted a guest post. He accepted it. And so, and I'd done a few works. So he and I had that connection. And then, so I went, worked for myself. Naturally, I went to them. I was like, hey, can I write for you? He's like, yeah, absolutely. And so I started doing some guest posting for them. And then when I was like doing all, um, when I got like super busy, I kind of like stopped doing that. Um, but then once that dropped, I started back in uh, doing some more uh of writing for them. And eventually I did some contract work for them. And then around, I think it was October of 2012, Brian and I had been 
trading emails talking about contract work, but then he said, you know, you want a full-time job. And I was like, I was like hell yeah, I want a full-time job. I'll work for you. Because I, you know, the thing was, the funny thing was, is like, you know, I told you uh, um, I had been looking, I was looking for a full-time job for a long time. And I was doing interviews with, you know, gr with great places um, and great companies. And, but I'd go through the interview and I'd be even be at the second interview process and I'd hang up the phone. I was like, man, that just doesn't feel right, you know. And part of the place was like, I had so many offers and invitations from places in Seattle and, and my wife had no desire to go to Seattle. So it's like, it, it couldn't pull that off. So I just kind of held out, held, held out until that came along. And again, it came through the back door and I was, and it was a no brainer for me. Yeah. It certainly beats pitching a tent on wall street, right? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Where would I be then? You know, yeah. so <laughs> sabotaging I, everything. <laughs> I think, um, I, I found this out about you the other day. I forget where, where I was reading this, but it was a piece that you had written and you were, had mentioned that, that you kind of, you know, fancied yourself as a poet as well, but that you had figured out how to make money online in order to make a living and raise a family, but use that set of skills. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talk about that evolution because, you know, that, you know, as somebody, as a creative writer, that's right. that, that's a big leap. And, and sometimes people feel like the soul is sucked out of the craft of writing when you start getting into marketing and <laughs> online. So so talk about that evolution and, and sort of, you know, how that took place and why you enjoy it. Yeah, that's a great question. So like, yeah, you know, talk about like business sucking the soul out of you. I mean, I actually, so I, so I was, um, you know, I went to school to be a um, English literature major. You know, I graduated with that degree underneath my belt and, and, um, but I knew like, you know, I was like, what are you, what are you going to do? I was going to go to graduate school. But my wife's like, no, I'm tired of, you know, I, I, you, you need to go work so I can come home and have babies. I'm like, okay. And, um, I, so I, a friend introduced me to, you know, marketing through a book called, uh, influence, you know, psychology of persuasion by Robert, uh, Cialdini. And I think, you know, a lot of people are familiar with that book, but you know, at that point, my, my, my career, which was really early, I was like this English, you know, lit snob. And I was like, I'm not going to read that stupid book. And, uh, but I did because it was part of my job and I fell in love with it. And I was like, this is awesome. Like you could use like writing to like persuade people and to motivate and to influence people. I just need to figure out how to do that. And so it, it's, you know, I just poured myself into the craft, the craft of copywriting and writing online and, you know, uh, usability and SEO and everything I get my hands on. Uh, but at the same time, I'm like, you know, so how does this become an art? How does this become like, where is that creative side of it? And it, if you think about it, like a copywriter has to think about um, creativity the same way like a, a bridge engineer has to think about creativity. Like, like they can build the most beautiful, you know, gorgeous, just avant-garde bridge, but it better hold traffic and it better stand up to weather, right? And so that's the same thing with what I have to do as a writer. I have goals and objectives, business objectives I have to meet, but can I do that in a way that honors my personality and honors my flair and honors, you know, the way I see the world? And can I use that to leverage, you know, um, can I use like my personality to leverage, you know, the, like the, the, the uh, perception of what we're trying to do, the visibility of our content and our company. And I, and I really kind of felt like that, yeah, there's quite a way to do that. I mean, David Ogilvy, he talks about the killer and the poet, you know, um, the, the killer is the guy, person with the, with the instinct to make, you know, make money when that's married with somebody who's creative, uh, you have, I mean, it's like there is no limit to that. And so it's a process of just learning 
like what works and like when, when you've kind of crossed the line between it being clever and cute and like art for art's sake versus, you know, is it useful? Is it still practical? Is it still, you know, utilitarian? So you always have to have to keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah, I was just going to say that's a that's a delicate balance because it seems like that a lot of, you know, people in, you know, leadership positions say, you know, we don't need art. We just need stuff that, you know, aligns with the business objectives. So uh, it sounds like you made you made the job work for you. You know, you kind of had it. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think you kind of alluded to that earlier when you were going on job interviews and you'd hang up the phone and be like, that doesn't feel right. Whereas some people might have taken the job to pay bills. You Sounds like you you need it to work for you as well. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm assuming that Copyblogger must be, uh, you know, an environment that really promotes that creativity and that, you know, using your own personal flair, so long as it obviously aligns with the business right. objectives, right? So so talk about that environment at Copyblogger. Is that is that freedom sort of just there from the beginning? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's a thing that like attracted, I think, all of us to Brian Clark in the first place. I mean, I, cause, you know, I mean, I remember the first time that I saw an article about him, I thought like, cause you know, like what I knew up at that point, like all the copywriters that I knew, the direct response copywriters were sort of like these just cheesy, one dimensional, lame people. And I'm like, you know, this is, I just feel like, like I would not, I would not hang out with these people otherwise, if it wasn't, you know, to learn their, their secrets. Um, but then Brian comes along, he's talking about the same stuff, but he's, you know, throwing in Purple Rain references, you know, Depeche Mode references. And it's like, wait a minute, this guy's kind of cool, you know, and it, and it got my attention. So, you know, he has that flair. He's 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 much more of the enterprising, you know, he has that enterprising streak. And of course, it's why he's a CEO and sort of drives the business. But he definitely has that creative, you know, the, the bands he listens to, the 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 you know punk t-shirt collection that he has so yeah that is there and like we talk about like you know our culture is one is where we're just a bunch of misfits looking to do meaningful work you know and uh it's kind of what we have there and it's really interesting to look at the people who work there I mean, all around me just just high, super talented people and, and in some capacity these people have either worked for themselves had their own business sold their own products or something like that so they all have that same drive they all have that same ambition and that sort of, uh, you know, competitive spirit and creative flair. So it very much is part of the culture. And I think that's what drive it. There's, I mean, there's not a lot of oversight in the company, but there's, you know, we get a a hell of a lot done um, in spite of that. I love that the the island of misfit toys yeah. sort of analogy, <laughs> uh, and and Brian yeah Brian is is definitely a rock star and and, and I think right. I, he and he is one of those guys that that always has an entertaining spin, much like yourself uh, on the content, mm-hmm. and I think that that's sort of a lost art, and I think as as you know I don't know if you agree with this, but it seems like you know content has obviously become you know, one of, if not the number one driver of, of awareness and, uh, you know, for brands. So naturally it's become, uh, I hate the word saturated because, you know, quality, I don't think ever saturates. There's a right. lot, there's a lot of noise out there. There's a lot of articles. And I said this earlier that you're one of the writers in the space that truly gets it. You know, you mm-hmm. write narratives, you know, you're one of those kind of guys that'll make a purple rain reference. Um, <laughs> so what do you think is getting lost in all of this? You know, this, every company is now a publisher ideology mm-hmm. that, you know, everyone has fallen into, um, you know, what, 
what are we missing out on as you know as readers as consumers and and where are brands going wrong i guess or or maybe there's just a little lost maybe not wrong but what's getting lost in the translation here in this every company is now a publisher ideology i think that's a great question because and i think what happens is that when people like so the common mistake I think is going on is is uh, so a company says that we need to become a publisher and then the people within that company, you know, and this could be you know the secretary, the 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 accountant, the finance people, you know, someone who who doesn't really have that is now writing articles, is now you know d- doing SEO, is now creating videos, and so they become a publisher, but they're not using the right resources. So really, what it becomes, what it comes down to, is just hiring practices and looking for the right people to fill those sort of shoes. And you know, this is why it's interesting. It's like you see a lot of journalists coming, you know, um, from the sort of failed newspaper world and you know now working for big brands because they can make a living off of it but they can also bring a, a skill set to the industry that was missing you know before and so it's a nice marriage you know if you look at your company and, and you're going to pr- take the content marketing approach and actually become a publisher uh, then you need to hire the right people yeah and and what do you, what what do you, so what do you see like what do you see, you know, come up in your newsfeed or just see that's become common practice that, you know, for lack of a better word, just kind of irritates you or pisses you off, you know, in, in content? I think it's probably just the fact that people aren't thinking through it. I mean, you know, I, I've been working on an article recently, just this idea of it's really, like you said, like quality will always win. And when like, so, but what really, what is quality? And it hasn't changed. But if we look, if we, if we look to the print world, we actually see what it, what that means. I mean, even though we like, you know, the people, you know, uh, advocates of the internet la- like to laugh and mock at, you know, the di- the dinosaur print institutions and, you know, not getting on, on board with it, but they still have a lot to teach us in the sense of like, you know, what is quality? It's, it's original, deep, you know, specific research. It's good storytelling. And, you know, when I see people like, you know, not you like, thinking they can get away with cheap kind of uh, shallow water thin content that's not that's that's covering something that's obvious we sort of always known um that's kind of inter- irritating because the thing is you know you and I both know it's like it's hard work right and like I mentioned earlier um I think before the calls it's like I've always got to keep my eyes out and be aware of the market and what's going on and what people are doing and that's really hard because there is a lot of content but you just have to be aware of the environment and the context in which you are creating so that you're creating something that's new, it's original, that people will say, okay, that's wasn't obvious. You know, that was, uh, that was a new insight and providing that sort of thing. Um, otherwise, you know, it gets, it gets old and irritating is just seeing the same things go over and over. It's an interesting point because I think the people who are going to have the last laugh is going to be, you know, because you're seeing it slowly happen now where people are, and you said this, are migrating from these traditional media you know, platforms into the digital space. Uh, you know, a couple guys that I can mm-hmm. think off of the top of my head, Dan Lyons left the right. traditional, uh, you know, he worked at HubSpot. Now he, um, you know, he works at the Valley Wag and he does very well. And then you also see it even in the podcast format. Uh, it should be probably top mm-hmm. five in business podcast right now, the startup podcast. Yeah, right. Um, Alex Bloomberg, he formed mm-hmm. Gimlet Media. He worked for mm-hmm. NPR. So mm-hmm. you have these guys that are, tr- that are, that are migrating over and it's 
it seems like because they already have that skill set that you're you're referring to, that narrative skill set and that dedication to the quality and the craft, they're going to they're going to just clean up in the coming right. years if if some of these brands don't sort of follow suit, you know. So right. it's it's an interesting point, and um, you know that that kind of goes into you know I was I was actually I was stalking your LinkedIn today, Damien. Okay. Uh, And and you you actually had something interesting in your bio, which I was like, wow, this he's getting pretty. uh, You know, this this was a dark a dark problem to bring up in the bio. But you said that you know content on the web faces almost two insurmountable problems: obscurity Mm -hmm. and neglect. And the key word there is almost. You know, because I was like, wow, uh, you know, you know, but but you put almost in there to leave that little glimmer of hope. So (laughs) (laughs) these two almost insurmountable problems of obscurity and neglect could you explain those and 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 how can how do you work to overcome those yeah so um obscurity is simply you know billions of web pages billions of pieces of content you know you know now it's just not web pages when I mean, we're dealing with you know we're dealing with podcasts and you know we're all part of the problem too but there's so much out there that like you know because here's the funny thing like the internet you know, quote unquote, gives us a voice. But you know, when everybody has a voice, no one has a voice, and so you're you're lost in this dark sea. And so that's the obscurity. Like you know, you publish a post or you know a podcast or a video, whatever. It's like now it's there, but if unless it's not found or shared or promoted, then nobody's going to watch it. So. Oh, that's what I mean by obscurity. That, like, you know, y- you are working like in the dark. You are at the bottom, like, of the rate, like, you know, proverbially, and you're at the bottom of the, of the search rankings. And so you have to work your way up there. And the neglect part is like, if anybody actually happens to find this, you know, the, the article you wrote or the video you created or the podcast, you wrote, will they actually listen to it or read it or watch it? I mean, will it be good enough? Will it be interesting enough to keep their attention? And that's one of the reasons why, you know, I'm so, you know, high on the discipline of copywriting because I think that's that's what it teaches people is like how, not only how to get their attention but to keep it. So, if you know, and that's what we do with with headlines. You, you write headlines that grab people's attentions but then you write body copy that keeps them reading through there with, you know, uh, persuasion, you know, tricks like internal cliffhangers and sub-headlines and that sort of thing that I've been talking about through my, my podcast – so that they actually will read it, watch it, you know, listen to it. So the big thing, though, um, is like, so creating something that's original, creating something that's unique, something that you're saying something new, and in in it could even be just be saying it in a new way, you know, repackaging old ideas and new clothes. Uh, but you do it over the long haul because, um, you know, I've been at this, like I said, for uh, years and it's probably been over the last like two or three years that I've actually sort of, you know, gotten my, le- you know, gotten, gotten any kind of, you know, visibility and, and uh, attention and long-term attention and, and, you know, or if you want to even call it celebrity status, because uh, it's, I've just stayed at it. You know, it's that been that persistence because we all know those people who have sort of kind of risen, but for whatever reason they stopped doing it. And that's just an unfortunate part of the game. It's like, you know, it is, you kind of, you kind of have to keep doing it. And it's the, the people who ultimately win the obscurity uh, game are those who just, you know, who, who, who um, have, who practice and master the fundamentals, but they do it over the long haul. Yeah, it's about consistency. Yeah. Uh, so, so right now, you know, probably even listening right now, there's a, a Damien Farnworth circa 2011 who is fighting <laughs> his own obscurity in a different way because, you know, 
you know, the internet provides such a great and expansive platform for any mm-hmm. of us to start. You know, I mean, listen, I started this podcast on my own resources, and it mm-hmm. it, it was able to crack the top ten in business. You wouldn't have been right. able to, to have that sort of traction to even ten years ago. Right. So, but so as a result, there's a ton of guys out there that are very skilled. Uh, that might have their own copywriting shops or or, mm-hmm. or they're out there freelancing or they started a blog. And I know that's how copy bloggers started. They weren't offering right. a product. They created the platform first. Um, right. And they focused on, you know, educating and, and providing quality content. Then they worried about, you know, making money from it. So what would you tell that kid out there now? Or maybe he's not a kid. Maybe he's a, a guy going through a career change right. in, his, in his 30s. Uh, what would you tell that guy who feels like he's suffering in obscurity and says, listen, I have, I don't have the platform of a copy blogger media or any of these other big marketing engines. You know, what would you tell that guy? How can he get, how can he get out there and, and, and succeed as a writer? So, yeah, it's a good question. So the thing is you have to do something to get like someone with influence, uh, you have to, to do something to get their attention. And I would say probably, you know, it was, uh, you know, even if it's intentional, like meaning like you write a, a blog post challenging an authority's position and you do it in a way that's respectful, that's meaningful, that actually makes a good point. Um, you know, because I, I think, you know, that is, so, so, and that's the, what we, t- you know, we talk about this idea of authority, is it bestowed or is it earned, you know, and we, and I think it's, it's probably a little bit of, it's both, like you have to be prepared, you have to have the, ch- the chops, you know, in order to have somebody say, look, he's, he's pretty decent and then get showcased or spotlighted. But there comes that moment when, you know, a Brian Clark or, you know, uh, somebody, uh, Seth Godin, um, somebody in the industry recommends you or talks about you or hires you or whatever. And so for that person out there who's sort of wallowing in that obscurity, because for me, that was, that was sort of, I can pinpoint some very specific times in my career where I did something that got the attention of, of somebody with a lot of um, influence, got their attention and, and they promoted me mentioned me in some aspect that elevated my game just a little bit. And it's, it's, it's like I said, it's a long, it's a, it's a long haul, long-term, uh, game, but, uh, you have to do it and just incre- incremental, uh, improvements like that and just be patient. <laughs> it's the biggest thing. Be patient, try to get their attention, do something that's worthwhile, you know, and be patient and deliver. And I know a lot of people view that as like the modern spam, right? Hey, Damien, yeah. can you retweet this for me? And that's right. that's not what you're saying, right? No, I mean, no, 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 no. You have to provide some context yeah. and, and some value for them as well. Exactly, exactly. No, like for example, like I remember I wrote an article um, about Google Plus when Google Plus first came out, and I remember Brian Clark had said this is going to be the the um, uh, the future of content marketing. I was like, yeah, it's not and here's why. And so I wrote a blog post about that. And but I provided some value. And Brian Clark, you know, he actually did, you know, he he saw it and he responded to it and he shared it, you know, and he said, um, you know, he called me out too, because he's like dirty bastard, you know, name dropped, and of course it worked. <laughs> so but you know, it's like it like I said, yeah, it wasn't yeah, because like emailing somebody said, "Hey, I just wrote this, and, and uh, would you mind sharing it?" is not is not the approach. I mean, those those get ignored, but it's doing something that that causes some visibility or some ripples, and that's and like I said, it, like provides value. It it's, it delivers something that's not just for controversy or scandal's sake. Right, I want to get a little personal now into your writing process. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, for you personally, 
because I know anybody who creates has a different story. So like, how do you find fulfillment from your writing? I think, um, that's a good question. Wow. Um, I think the best thing to say, the fulfillment is like, I knowing that I poured my heart and soul into it. So, so I guess it goes to this, this idea of creating, um, like, so, you know, I have, I have a lot of opportunity to create content for copy blogger and I get a lot of fulfillment in it. And I feel a lot of fulfillment. I feel fulfilled, I should say in that because, you know, I'm able to do something in my own way, in my own, you know, voice. I have my own creativity. It's sort of my idea. So it's it's fulfilling to know that as a creative person that I'm trusted with, uh, you know, a task, a goal, or you know, a responsibility, and then taking that and then being able to move um, through that process, like like with full autonomy and knowing it, and then and then knowing that that once I publish it, people get value out of it and they find that, you know, it's interesting. And, and, it, and it, you know, when I hear people say, you know, when the, the sort of kind things that you say, the compliments, I mean, I, I, I live off of compliments. And so, I mean, when I know that I created something that was meaningful, that was useful, at the same time creative, um, I, f- I feel very yeah, I feel like, you know, this is, this is the gift that I've been given. And, you know, kind of the way I look at it is like the best way that I can honor that gift is just to become the best that I can, you know, in that particular discipline. And it sounds like too, that you're, you're the kind of guy who needs to have your, your fingerprints on it, not in the sense that your name is on it. You, you know, you have the byline, but you need to have your flair and your mm-hmm. creativity in there. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't see you probably being happy working at a company just, uh, you know, pumping out PR content, right? Right. Well, no, that's why, that's one of the, th- the reasons why I think that the, the ghostwriting thing just sort of ate me alive because um, I, I, know, I know some people who are just perfectly happy and make really good money and have a really nice life doing that because they, you know, it's just, it's, that's not in them. But for, for me, it's like, I, you know, that's the thing that I walked away from that experience uh, learning. I was like, you know, it's okay to desire that recognition to feel like, you know, um, cause I, you know, again, like I said, like I'm a person who like lives off of, I mean, compliments and incur- words of encouragement are fuel to me. So when people say, yeah, that was a great article. I appreciate that. It's like, I just want to work harder then. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like you have to live up to it. It, it, it yeah, it creates yeah. a new level that you have to validate. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, if I if I was doing you know just no name PR things or ghostwriting, I'm not getting that unless you you know of course my boss is like that's just that was the greatest you know uh, press release you know I think we've ever, you know that sort. But even then, that's you know maybe not nearly as satisfying as what I do now. That's interesting. It's not about, you don't need the compliments. It's not about narcissism. It's about, it, it almost, it, it's a self-sustaining engine. It just drives you to keep going. It really, get... it really is. Yeah. I mean, I, I yeah, again, it just goes, you know, I'm a words of encouragement type of guy, you know, and it's just that, you know, if I would do what I do, if, you know, for no money if, if I didn't have to, just on encouragement alone, just, you know, because I, I like that, you know, and like you said, yeah, it's not like it goes to my head or, but it's sincerely, I mean, I'm sort of built that way. It's like, um, I want to be recognized for my work, not be, so I can be a narcissist or, you know, a, a jackass about it, but that I can like, you know, yeah, okay. Now, because I'm humbled by that stuff, you know, sort of stuff. I'm humbled. I'm like, yeah, okay. 
So this is validation that what I'm doing is working. Okay, so how can I, because that's the other thing too. It's like this drive to like beat my last piece. It's always, it's like never, I'm never satisfied with the, you know, with what I've done. I'm always, you know, raising the bar, you know, even if it's incrementally each and every time. And because, um, you know, it fuels me, it drives me. I get excited about, you know, I'm a competitive guy. So it's just, I need that kind of framework. Describe your writing process. Like, what is it, what does it look like? What does it sound like? So when you're, you know, when you're sitting down at the desk at a typewriter with a pen mm-hmm. and pad, moleskin, whatever your approach is, sort of put us in that scene. Like, what is that like? So everything that I do, I mean, any, any project that I tackle begins with, with just a massive amount of research because um, I feel like I'm not going to tackle something unless I'm prepared. So I will just over-prepare and, you know, read as much as I can, research, you know, make, you know, sort of ridiculous. Like when I was doing this native advertising series, I was like, okay, I'm going to try to read every single article that's ever been published on native advertising. It, it was kind of doable because it was sort of a new, you know, um, sort of concept at the time. But, but you know, after like t- 12 or 13 articles, I was like, okay, and there's like 23 more. I was like, okay, I'm probably not going to be able to do that. So, so I think I, you know, then you have to say, okay, so, so make sure I cover the bases and I have just just the foundation. I understand what what I am, but everything you know, every single that writing process begins with just a massive amount of research, and then I'll sit down, and then I'll sit down and organize it and outline it, or just start writing. Sometimes it's like, um, I'll have the headline, and I'll just be able to sit down and start writing. But quite often, it's just sitting down with an outline and then organizing that information um, in such a way that then I can actually write my, my first draft. And so then I'll write my first draft and I, and I almost always do it exclusively inside WordPress, um, no matter where it's going to be published. Um, and I do it that way so that I can like view it as like preview it and see what it actually would look online. So, I, you know, cause I'm even, you know, particular about the white space and like the sentences, the sentence, the paragraph breaks. So doing it that way allows me to do it. So I get the first draft done. And once the first draft's done, then I just sort of take a break from it. And that break could be, it's usually, you know, at least a day, if not longer. So, and then once uh, I feel like I've gotten some space from it or I've gone, gone and worked another project, I'll come back to it and refine it. And um, I'll, ref- I'll refine it, you know, upwards of like, you know, there'll be 22 times you go working through it just over and over and over until I get it to a place where like, I feel like, um, it, it represents what I was trying to accomplish in the first place. And, and it's hard. So here's the thing, right? So I just found this out about myself and I really didn't think about this, but it's just makes sense. Like I'm a perfectionist and, um, I never really thought about that, that I was, but I, you know, after just realizing like, you know, you I'm, I have such high standards that if I don't meet them, you know, can lead to uh, unproductivity, lethargy, depression, that, that sort of thing. So I have to build like constraints around me, meaning I have to like put self-imposed deadlines or I have to say, okay, I can only write the, I can only ri- write this within 500 words, giving myself that challenge to say, okay, this, this is the idea I have. Can I do that within 500 words? And how can I do that to make it the most impactful? So it's like, you know, I will, I will spend, I'll, just a premium amount of time on a piece of content unless I'd sort of, okay, here, what's the deadline? I do have, I do have regular deadlines, but I've uh, quite often just, just put artificial constraints around what I do just so I 
can be productive and keep pushing forward. But wait, you said you weren't an entrepreneur earlier. That that's a that's a, 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 a definite entrepreneurial uh, trait right there. You know, developing the process. Yeah. So you, you do have that in you, definitely. Uh, and, and the the funny part about what you just said too is that space. Uh, and and I totally agree with that because it's almost like when you when you have that space between. Uh, whatever you want to call it, first draft mm-hmm. and revisions, it's almost like it's not your piece anymore. And right. you, you can come back so objectively and be like, wow, this is crap, or this mm-hmm. needs to get pulled out. Whereas wh- while you're writing it, you're so in love with everything. Right. It's just like, I can't change that. This intro, just <laughs> it just works. Yeah. Uh, so so I totally agree about the space. But yeah, you definitely seem like you have the entrepreneurial spirit in there uh, because you're putting deadlines on yourself that aren't being sort of, you know, handed down from any sort mm-hmm. of executive team, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so any sort of any sort of like tools or or apps that you use anywhere in your writing process that help out? Um, so like I mentioned WordPress, I work within WordPress and I've, I also use Evernote, um, just to keep notes and keep outlines, keep, uh, track of what I'm doing. And that's probably it. I mean, I have a number of just, you know, handwritten notebooks that I keep everywhere. Like I am, uh, I love, you know, uh, paper notebooks and I love mechanical pencils. And so I use those almost exclusively. Like I make a list of what I need to accomplish that day, um, every day. And the night before I review what I've done to make sure, you know, as I trans translate what I need to do the next day. And I keep a lot of my notes inside of print, uh, the, the sort of notebook and I'm just using like your typical composition notebooks you can buy at Walmart. Um, but I also use Google Docs too to create create docs. I use I do a lot of my podcast scripts inside Google Docs, and like I like the ability, like the reason I like Evernote and uh, Google Docs, I like the ability to be able to access th- those, like you know whether I'm on my laptop or my phone. So to have that ability, if I'm out somewhere and I'm waiting in line, I was like, hey, you know, I kind of want to work on that article, so I might jump in there and do that, or I have an idea I want to add to a podcast, you know, to the po- podcast. Um, outline so i'll be able to jump into those so but but those are the 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 uh most tools that i use yeah that's the biggest thing is uh you know the cloud uh, definitely supports Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. inspiration doesn't there's no schedule for when Mm -hmm. inspiration hits so yeah that i agree with the evernote if you're standing in line at the bank jotting down ideas sir sir you're next (laughs) (laughs) exactly hold hold on one second and i've I've also found that you know the voice memo feature on my phone useful too if i'm out you know like to i like to run and so if i'm out you know i can just stop instead of you know typing it in i could just record record a thought that you know on my phone so yeah, that's always helpful. Even in Evernote, you could do that too, which is which is super cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, we talked about earlier that you have a very narrative approach to a lot of your work. You're a great storyteller. Uh, where do you, you know, you know, by nature, this sort of approach sort of requires, you know, a, a lot of inspiration from, you know, mm-hmm. where do you where do you extract your inspiration from? So. Yeah, I mean, I just I I read a lot and I try to read as as unorthodox things as I can. Like like you know, I think you mentioned earlier, I read you know a poem by a nineteenth century poet, you know, on my podcast to sort of demonstrate a point. And so it's like I look, I I try like again, I resist 
you know, I, I, I keep, I, I stay aware of wh- what direction the crowd is going and I just go in the opposite direction or go, where, you know, where there's, where there's fewer people. I like to hang out in the backwaters of, of, of knowledge and, you know, read older books, read difficult books, uh, read, you know, women's day. If I, if, you know, <laughs> I'm you know, struggling with the headline and, just be as creative I can. I try, I try to avoid all the conventional ways of doing things and conventional sources of doing things so that I can present stories in a way that's unique and new and original. And it represents who I am. Again, it's just like, you know, um, I think it was Neil, you know, I don't, so there's a, there's a quote by some physicists. He said, you know, like your pursuit of, of inspiration should be undisciplined and it really should just be about following your interest. And it should like, you know, if you, if you have a scent on something, just pursue that like, like a bloodhound. And so that's kind of, you know, and, and don't worry about where it's taking you just, you know, trust the process and trust that, that. So I look for unorthodox, um, content and I, and I look for an orthodox way of, you know, talk, I talk about William Faulkner and like William Faulkner is like, like the most, like one of the most difficult pe- people to read. But here I am talking about, you know, web copy, which needs to be totally clear, totally concise, you know, and very compelling. So it's just different, but it's like what, you know, I think there's a lot to be learned in those kind of things. So you heard it here, folks. Women's Day. You know, go go read That's your right. subscription. <laughs> That's right. I, I, I totally agree, though, because I think if you look, especially in your space, if you look around for inspiration, you're doing things that have already been done. Yeah. So it's it's like I try to do the same thing. Like I'll read mm-hmm. blogs that have nothing to do right. with business or marketing or writing, or I'll mm-hmm. pick up, you know, I, and I have subscription to countless magazines and I have way too many books than I'd like to admit. Right. Uh, you know, not because having books is a bad thing but because i'm borderline hoarding um (laughs) so yeah i i try try to do the same thing and sort of on that 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 same train of thought like i think i was listening to you were in a a different podcast and uh you you sort of you know compared your relationship with your keyboard uh on your macbook and when you're writing to a keyboard in music and how you you Mm. you sort of you you articulated that the the relationship i think you articulated what many of us feel that really enjoy the craft and that it's it has this very visceral response in us that it's not just writing Mm -hmm. it feels Mm -hmm. like you're writing a song or or -hmm. you're creating art so can you can you just talk about that a little bit yeah, I think um, the th- the thought behind that, I mean, just really originates is that you know, when asked like, you know, what are, who are my who, who inspires me? What are my inspirations? Who are my heroes? And it usually almost always comes down to musicians because I mean, I can think of a few writers that I really really enjoy, but when I think of like who's my muse, it's almost music and it's musicians and you know, like you know, a piano, a pianist is someone who can you know through sound deliver us to a different place, kind of transport us to it. And, and you know, what, what we do with the keyboards and the words and what I do with the words, you know, is no different. My hope is that I can transport you somewhere else, even if it's just educating you, educating you and not just entertaining, but educating you, but taking you out of place, taking you outside of your environment. And, uh, and so the thing is too, you know, it's, uh, I think there's, there's a kind of a cadence to good, to good, written communication, a, a sort of musical quality almost, you know, that, you know, doesn't need, you know, a background music if you don't need it, but it, it you know, it helps it. So, um, I mean, that's, that's where I'm, you know, thinking w- with that, that and that's, 
you know, so how I view it. I was going to ask you your reading list, but we're going to scrap that because I want to hear <laughs> what what's what's uh, what's on your playlist right now. What are some some bands or artists that you're digging right now? Yeah, so that's a good question, right? So I got a ridiculous like like Spotify account because it's like I mean I am relentlessly pursuing just like different music, and I can't really stand like uh, new music too much because you know I can listen. Like usually, what I do is I'll go back and I'll like like what was the best what were the best albums? You know, I'll go to a, a website like Pitchfork or something. And I was like, what were the best albums in 2014? And then I kind of like just work my way through there and, um, and then find a band that I like. And, you know, I found bands like Alt-J that uh, I love through that. And um, like Cayenne West, never thought I'd, I'd like Cayenne West, but, you know, like that. And I mean, I grew up, like <laughs> the funny thing is, man, I grew up listening to country. I grew up listening to, you know, NWA and gangster rap. And <laughs> I, I grew up listening to classic rock. Um, and that's part of the thing is, is like, I love music. And so, I mean, lately I've been listening to, I've been listening to the, the, the Who album, Tommy, uh, a lot. And um, I fell in love with the uh, Daft Punk Random Access Memories album uh, through a recommendation from a friend. And I've got a number of um, sort of go-to playlists that are sort of a lot of alternative classic uh, grunge rock, uh, drum storm type of music that helps me, like, you know, Smashing Pumpkins and Mudhoney who helped me through uh, the rough drafts. And then some more instrumental stuff, like Aphex Twin or Square Pusher, uh, so it's it's really all across. I, mean, I, get, I get some bluegrass. I got a bluegrass, you know, uh, playlist. I've got a lot of gospel music playlists. So, well, the takeaway here is, and I'm going to follow you on Spotify now, just so I can, <laughs> you know, check out yeah. some of your listening. Uh, what I would recommend too, if uh, if you haven't heard of these guys, they actually just had a new album out this week, Alabama Shakes. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Phenomenal band, so. Okay. Uh, you may hate them, but uh, if you like Alt-J, I, I think you would out. definitely like these guys. So I saw okay. them at the Beacon Theater in New York City a couple months ago, and they were fantastic, so definitely check them out. Okay. Um, so let's end here. Um, I, wanted right. to, I wanted to leave this question for last because I think it's really important. Uh, do you view becoming a great writer as a continual pursuit, or is it something either through experience or a certain level of resonance with an audience that's achieved? And if it's the former then how do you keep improving as a writer? So, yeah, um, I think it's one of those things where you have to continually, like, so this is the way I view it. Like, as a perfectionist, like, I can get hung up on one piece of content. In order to combat that, I have to keep reminding myself, it's not about the part, it's about the whole. It's perfection in the whole, not about the part, right? You can can always go back, you know, um, if you finish something and ship, you can always go back, look at it and say, okay, I should have done that differently and, and apply that to the next piece ahead. And so incrementally just getting better and better, redeeming yourself uh, in essence, you know, as you go. So I think the great writers that is that person who perseveres through the long haul and uh, improves his craft and craft and constantly, you know, is, um, yeah, I mean, it's like just sharpening the saw at all times. And not viewing like I've reached reached a level of proficiency, but you know, like I want to like. So it goes back to like, what do I want people to say about me when I die? Like, I mean, in, you know, I, I view I view that I ask that question with my wife. I ask that question about my children, and I ask that question about as a writer. You know, and one of the things I want people to say is that he mastered the English language. Now I know I will not 
you know, achieve that, but it's, you know, it's a goal that I set out there and say, okay, that's, that's impossible. But, you know, it was also impossible to break the four minute barrier. It's also impossible to, you know, climb Mount Everest. Um, it, it may be impossible to master the English language, but at least I want, you know, a, that goal, that almost unachievable goal that drives me. So I hope that makes sense. It can't be completed. Yeah. And, and things are only impossible until one guy comes along and says, nope, uh, just kidding. It's, it's, it is possible, right. but now what I just did is impossible. Well, uh, yeah. And I think, you know, mastering the English, you know, what does that really look like? I'm not really sure. And like, when can I say, Oh, it's been accomplished. Yeah. It, you know, it really, it can't be quantified. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. But it can't, but you know, qualitatively you can say, okay, like, you know, will I, will people talk about me the way they talk about Orson Welles or, you know, Ernest Hemingway or, um, you know, David Ogilvy, right. That's really what it's about. Well, let's hear from you guys as the listeners. Tweet it, tweet it, Damien, and, and let him know because uh, I'm, I'm, I am not the only guy who, who has, uh, uh, you know, a great affinity for what you do and the work you put out. Uh, Damien, thanks so much, man, for coming on. Uh, you're such a great interview. You're such a great guy, a true gentleman. Thanks for coming on Louder Than Words and, and sharing, you know, very candidly a, a lot about you. Thank you. It's, been, it's truly, it's truly an honor and humbled. Uh, what, uh, where can people find, um, there's a ton of places, but where can people go to connect with you? So the best place at the moment is, uh, my podcast, which is rough draft and you can go to roughdraft.fm. That's roughdraft.fm. Uh, subscribe to the show, leave me a comment, uh, a rating, let me know what you think about it. And, um, of course you can follow me on Twitter at Damien Farnworth or uh, find me on copy blogger, um, I've, I've got my own page there, so yeah, now, all my work. Now he's just name dropping people: copy blogger, rough draft, <laughs> <Raymond>. <laughs> right? Damien, thanks so much again, and uh, this was awesome. Uh, thank you, thank you so much. Hey, John, thank you. And for everyone else, thank you for joining us. And if you enjoyed today's episode, uh, you can go ahead and, and write a review. Uh, I would love a rating. That that that's always very nice and and and, and polite, right? Um, so go ahead and rate it or share it with your friends. Um, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it was a pleasure having you guys. Um, and we will see all of you next time. Mm-hmm.